Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Guardian. I've tried not to be judgy about people raising ideas that are different to us. And a bit like in the gas market, ideas that might not have seemed a great idea 6, 12, 18 months ago might seem like a better idea now. We're trying to, we're trying to engage with different views differently. And maybe that gets harder the older the government gets. But one of the things I try to do is, and today, shocking headlines about me today, right? And what I tried to do is to recognize not every day is going to be great. Not everyone's going to agree with you. It's unrealistic to think that everyone's going to stand and applaud a budget and there's going to be unanimity about its direction. Once you accept that, it's pretty liberating. And that's how I feel about tax. Hello, lovely people of podcasts, and welcome to the show. You are on Australian politics and you are with Catherine Murphy. And you are also, it being budget week, with the treasurer, Jim Chalmers who has staggered into the pod cave. I'm in, I'm in awe and admiration that he's still standing. We're recording on Thursday night. And uh, after a really heavy duty budget week, uh, he has agreed to come in and have a chat, which I'm very grateful. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. I want to start slightly big picture and also by rolling back a week. Now, you and I had a conversation a week ago for a profile that we published last Saturday on The Guardian. We were talking about your admiration for Paul Keating uh, as an economic communicator and your belief that you can't just photocopy agendas from that period, that you've got to basically face the challenges of you know, of contemporary times. And you said to me that one of the things Labor had to do this term was to, uh, this is you quoting, uh, turn the multi-billion dollar superannuation pool to our advantage when it comes to our national economic priorities. Now, I mean, I'll just confess to the listeners, I kicked myself. <laughs> <laughs> On budget night where there was a housing initiative, uh, you know, partly uh, funded by the super industry. And anyway, we can talk about housing in a tick, but I just want to actually stay a bit bigger picture about this issue. So unlocking super to fund our national economic priorities, what do you mean? Well, I mean a couple of things. Uh, In the broader sense, before we get to housing, uh, if you think about the condition of the budget, And if you think about some of these economic challenges which are intensifying, you know, investment in cheaper, cleaner, more reliable energy, you think about the housing shortage, you think about uh, the the transition we need to make in terms of data and digitisation and the tech economy. Um, I think if anyone flew here from outer space and they said, okay, we're in this country called Australia and these are the challenges we've observed, what are the things that we've got going for us to help us meet the moment? And super is one of those things. Mm. And 
you know, I'm not for one minute saying that super should be about anything other than delivering good returns for members, but surely there's a way that we can deliver good returns for members and invest in some of these big national priorities that we've identified. Uh, and so I think there's an opportunity there. And uh, and housing, I'll like I said, we'll get to it in a tick, but I want to sort of open with energy if we can, because that's obviously been such a big issue this week because of the new forecasts in the budget about what energy prices will be doing over this year and and next. Um, I can see all these things in plain sight, Jim. Indulge me for a minute, right? I can see a Labor government that's come uh, come to office basically uh, making a commitment to build a massive new transmission system to lock renewables into the grid. I can see that. Um, I can see state premiers, a couple of them, uh, Daniel Andrews and uh, Peter Malinowskis in South Australia over the last, I don't know, week or 10 days, starting to talk about state ownership of electricity assets again for the first time in 20 years. And I mean, they're not renationalising their sectors, but anyway, there's just some interesting sort of thinking at the margins there. Um is that is is there a role for superannuation in that? First question, and uh, because that's a huge ambitious build that you can already see that your political opponents are limbering up to make yeah. the new pink bats, school halls, etc. Obviously, there's there's sort of oceans of capital there. Mm-hmm. So, what role might super play in those things? Yeah, I think significant. And and what I've uncovered in particularly the last few months, but probably as well the last couple of years, is that superannuation funds are good at spotting opportunities. They've historically been keener to get into, you know, in the jargon, the kind of brownfields, already existing infrastructure, ports, airports. They're still interested in that. But the thing that is becoming of more interest to them is the kind of greenfields, newer projects, you know, whether it's housing, whether it's energy projects, there is more appetite and more interest and they're getting better and better at kind of analysing those opportunities. Mm. Um, And they're probably a little bit further along on energy than they are on housing. And that to me is, it means a lot of things, but one of the things that that means is it gives us confidence that what we're trying to do as a government to get cleaner, cheaper, more reliable energy into the system is not yeah, not uneconomic. You know, mm. it's a it's a it's an investable proposition, and it's a it's a huge economic opportunity. And for as long as I've known you, you know that I'm a believer when it comes to climate change action. And one of the reasons why, over a long period, um, it's gotten easier to make the case, mm. and that's because the economics are so compelling. Mm. The investment community. When they hear the sort of rubbish that our opponents go on about, they just they they laugh at them mm. um, because they they are there are big investable economic opportunities here, and super will be part of it. Mm. Do you think uh, privatisation of energy assets was a mistake? I think it's largely at the state level that it's happened. Mm. Uh, certainly, one of the reasons why, as I understand it, I'm not a you know in this part of the energy system, I'm not uh, an aficionado. But the way I understand it is the reason Queensland's generation is in better nick is partly because they held on to it. Mm. Uh, and that's obviously the conclusion that those two premiers have mm. drawn in one way or another mm. in those two states. But also, I mean, to broaden it out beyond those two Labor states that you identified, I mean, in New South Wales, I think they take this seriously. That's a Liberal government. And in Tasmania, we've just done a deal with the Tasmanian Liberal government about that Marinus Link mm. project that 
Anthony Albanese and Chris Bowen signed the deal for. So uh, I think the federal coalition uh, is behind their state counterparts mm. uh, and a long way behind us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's sadly, sadly for the country, true. Um, but I, I guess it's sort of like you are talking about regulatory interventions in the energy sector. Your language on this changed in the in the week before the budget. You've reinforced that point uh several times this week that this is this is what you're thinking about and look I I obviously understand that this process is still in play but what I'm trying to understand is whether or not the regulatory intervention that we might see down the track is bigger than any of us realize like what is the scope of the ambition of the regulatory intervention yeah I'm a very careful very cautious if not reluctant intervener mm-hmm. uh, in you know, markets where there's been a lot of investment and what makes this different, I think, and the reason why you're right to say that my approach is evolving uh, is because what we've got right now, we're in the middle of a really important transition. We've got a war in Europe, which is causing absolute havoc, absolute havoc with global energy markets. Mm. And because our country has had a decade of stuffing around and stuffing up energy policy, then we're more vulnerable to that. We're more exposed to that than we should be. And once you put all of that together and you think about the potential impact of incredibly high gas prices in particular, but more broadly, uh, then I think any responsible government, take the kind of party labels off, take the kind of all of the other labels off. I think any responsible government needs to consider its options. And There's still a lot of work that we need to do Mm. Um, and it involves multiple ministers, you know, Bowen, Husic, King, Prime Minister, myself and others. Yeah. And And officials and agencies. Officials and and multiple levels of government. Yeah. You know, when it comes to regulation, a lot in the electricity market, a lot of the levers are held by the state governments. Yeah. And so for all of those reasons, yes, we are contemplating uh, some kind of intervention, We've got to do it very responsibly, very sensibly. We've got to do it conscious of our international relationships. We've got to do it conscious of the investment that people have put in, companies have put in. Uh, But my personal view uh, has evolved to the point where I can't see a situation where we would do nothing. Mm. But there's sort of, there's 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 (laughs) this kind of oceans of distance between doing nothing and buying back the farm, of which course. is kind yeah. of where I'm going in terms of yeah. thinking. So That's not really something that we've, we we haven't been contemplating, you know, pulling these assets into public hands, yeah. if that's your question. Well, that's I'm, not... I'm sort of asking that, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's about more than that. I mean, whatever, whatever you do in this area is obviously about more than that. But I'm just, I, I can just see these multiple pieces in front of me and I just don't know whether they're connected or whether they're not. Mm. Well, what I've tried to do, and really during the course of this week in particular, because, you know, like it or not, the conversation about our first budget has become a conversation about energy. I oh, know, and, and I feel better. We're coming. We are. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 Teresa, no, 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 I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. No, no. And we are coming to those bigger issues about the budget because, yeah. like, there are two big issues of this week, right? There's yeah. energy and what we do about yeah. that in the short and the medium term. And yeah. then there's the budget problem, which, anyway, we will get to, I promise. And I'm sorry to make you the, the energy minister, <laughs> but it kind of has been that week. So, anyway, sorry, but I've cut you off. Well, so. my, my point really is that. Um, in the course of this week, I've tried not to narrow down or limit our options. Yes. Um, 
there are a range of levers and we've got a relatively open mind to them, but it requires a lot of work, a lot of consultation. The one one thing that I have done, uh, which your listeners might be interested in, is uh, one of the most important inputs into this whole conversation has been from the ACCC. Yeah. Yep. And not just because, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a terrific organisation and Gina Cascot-Leib is a terrific regulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people think of them as kind of monitoring markets. They do that. Um, but some of the broader thinking and conclusions that the ACCC drew earlier in the year were very important to the way that I think about this market. Mm-hmm. And so I have written to them. Uh, and you have covered that I've written to them and they've and, and I've given them a job to put do some policy thinking here, yes. not just monitoring. Yeah, I, which I is do interesting. Dial up their monitoring, but yeah. I've asked them for something a bit more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that will be an important part of what we're doing. Yeah, it's quite an interesting development, actually. It's sort of like takes the ACCC sort of back into territory it was when Alan Fells ran it, which is kind of funny to think about that. But um, anyway, um, there was a Callaghan, a Callaghan review. It recommended an examination of the residual pricing method. So basically that's, you know, the price that determines the level of tax that the gas producers pay. And he suggested this was open territory for you still. So, uh, you know, I have known you for a long time. I knew you when you were an advisor to your former boss during the mining tax period. I just wonder whether or not you are you are you scarred permanently by the mining tax super profits stout and that would be not unreasonable at a human level right like do you feel are you fighting the last war too much by sort of being very very careful about what you say about mm. taxing resources well okay uh, i see, <laughs> i see that period as character building yes um, and i don't intentionally you know, I'm trying not to overlearn mm. from that period. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everybody's formed by their experiences. Mm. And that was not a particularly edifying mm. period. It's really difficult. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, you know, but I, I, I try not to overlearn it in the, in the current context. On the, the Callahan Review, which is what... It was actually Scott Morrison. I thought it was Josh Frydenberg till I looked it up. But Scott Morrison as treasurer and then Josh Frydenberg as treasurer, mm. they started and advanced this Callahan review, which is all about how do we get PRRT right. Uh, and so they did a review and it came out with an interim report. Yep. And treasurer Frydenberg did some of the kind of low-hanging yep. fruit from it. Uh, and there was more work to be done, and that work got paused by the Treasury when COVID hit. And so Treasury's in the process of restarting that work. Uh, I haven't been gung-ho mm. uh, on the tax front here. Mm. Uh, the PRRT t- take has come up a bit in the budget, uh, but I know that a lot of people, including potentially some of your listeners, would like the PRRT mm. take to come up much yeah. more, but it, has, it hasn't been something that I've been working on, is the truth. But the Treasury will work away and at some point, you know, they'll provide some advice to me and I've got a great relationship with the Treasury and I trust them and they'll give me some advice and I'll consider it when the time comes. Separate to that is the work that I have been more forward-leaning on and that is Madeline King, my colleague, did a deal with the gas companies to get more supply. That's important. I think it was good. Mm. But we need to build on that. And we need to build on that because supply is part of the story, but price is another part of the story. And in the gas industry, there's a thing called a code of conduct, 
which is voluntary and a lot of people would say perhaps not as robust as it could be. Yeah. And so I will work with the ACCC and with those ministers, Bowen, Husick, King, etc., to see if we can make that code of conduct more robust when it comes to price. Well, the PM, That's what I have been working the on. The PM basically said in question time today, we'll look at making it mandatory, which was yeah. further than I've heard the government go before. Yeah. So yeah. so that's that's all pretty interesting. Anyway, I'll, I'll spare you from being the energy minister now. Let's talk about more traditional <laughs> treasury matters. Um, okay, so as I said a moment ago, it's been an energy prices week uh, and an inflation week. And uh, the other big question that the sort of the first um, Albanese government budget sort of unfurls, you know, before the Australian public is how do we pay for this bigger, more empathetic government that that is, a, in a way, it's a bequest of the pandemic. In Australia, I think people always like the social services that we have in this country, but I think the pandemic shifted the dial, don't you, in terms of how people look to government and and want a relationship with government in terms of what they deliver. Yeah. So you've asked the question this week, right? How do we do that? What's the answer? Yeah. Well, I think that is, you know, one of the kind of overarching themes or or the overarching task of a of a new government is to work out what's important and work out how we fund it. And for a long time now, that's been out of whack. Mm. Um, And different people, depends where you sit on the kind of, not just the ideological spectrum, you know, different people have different views about how you do that. Some people will say you need radical austerity, you need to slash and burn, and you need to get spending down to tax. Other people will say you need to make up the difference entirely with tax. And what I'm pleased about, proud about in the budget, uh, and we're not pretending to have finished this task. No. We've still got a structural problem in the budget. I haven't pretended otherwise. Mm. I didn't I, you know, I didn't pop up on Tuesday night <laughs> and say it's all fixed and I'm going to go play golf for the next two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I acknowledge there's a lot of work to do. But what we did show and what I'm proud of is that we showed that you can operate simultaneously on a number of fronts. We saved $22 billion. We haven't got any grief for that yet. Mm-hmm. In fact, the grief comes from the kind of high-end print media that says we should have cut harder. Uh, we showed, by historic standards, remarkable spending restraint. We got this temporary surge in revenue from high commodity prices and we banked it. Mm. My predecessor used to spray it around. Mm. Um, and we made some sensible tax changes, multinationals, um, compliance, and a couple of other measures. We'll need to do that combination, really, in one way or another going forward, and and we will, and we will do that. But I think one of the... Another kind of interesting thing about that lesson, about people counting on, on government, which is true, and I agree with it, is this sense that the last two big global downturns have taught us or conditioned us to expect that the only response when the world is going to custard is to throw a lot of money at it. Mm. And that was definitely right in the GFC, right in a different way in the pandemic. And what I've tried to say this week I don't know how successful I've been at this, but it's to say that sometimes you can have a global downturn if it's about inflation and higher interest rates. That's when you have to tap the brakes a little bit. Mm. And that's a hard message for a new government, a new Labor government, bristling with policies and plans. Colleagues have got these long to-do lists. Yeah, maybe you get a bit kind of soppy on a Thursday afternoon of of a budget week. But one of the things, I'm looking around at my colleagues today in the parliament on the front bench. And I was thinking how genuinely lucky we are that they got themselves to a level of understanding that 
these times warrant a slightly different response, mm. but also an understanding, and this comes from the Prime Minister all the way down, that we can do great things. We don't have to do them all in one budget. Mm. We don't have to do them five months in. And we did a heap in this budget that I'm really proud of, but I'm proud of my colleagues too for recognising we might have two or three more of these things and all of the other opportunities that uh, being in government brings. And so there is a sense of patience, which is surprising to me, but appreciated by me. Yeah, it's sort of interesting, as you say, because at one level it is patient in terms of um, th there's a long game to play. Uh, but at another level, what you're talking about is this moving past the sort of temporary Keynesian crisis response uh, because this is a different sort of economic crisis. Like that's actually quite radical <laughs> well, in terms of the, the sort of default mindset. I really noticed this actually, like yeah. sort of day two, right, like uh, after the budget, the sort of initial run of media in the morning, which obviously we all listen to, was very, very focused on the lack of payments and the lack of, right, and not necessarily negatively, but I just thought, God, it's amazing. Like, you know, in budgets that, uh, you know, that I covered 10 years ago, you know, it's kind of like if there had been payments, this would have been negative. This would have been a terribly negative thing because right. the default mindset would have been, you know, budget repair, surpluses. Like it's, yeah. it's just really funny how, yeah, how, yeah. how sort of radically the mindset has kind of shifted. But getting back to the structural deficit thing, which obviously is the big problem in the budget, right, that is dealt with by structural savings or revenue. So, and or and or yeah both. Well, can, do, do you mind if if I if I promise to be quick? Do you mind if I just pull up two things of what about what you no, just no, said go. more broadly? No, no, I'll, no. I'll try no, and no. gallop through it. Yeah. Um, the thing about the day after budget not focused on the money we're spending, I think that's partly a function of some of the things that I put in the budget on Tuesday. We promised three, four years ago. Yeah. And so people have a level of familiarity. That's true. With it. Yeah, so with the election commitments. Yep. The thing about Keynes, uh, I am a Keynesian. Um, the thing about that, though, is I'm trying to think of the 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 the, the economists talk about counter cyclical fiscal yeah. policy, yeah. which you understand, which is about when demand is strong, you pull back, and when demand is weak, you get involved. Yeah. Um, and there is a version of that in what I did, mm. in the sense that. We've got a lot of inflation and we've got a lot of demand. Retail figures have been relatively strong. They, we expect them to soften a bit. But so what I did was not entirely inconsistent. No, that's true, actually. Yeah. No, no, no. That is that is a good note. That yeah. is a good note. Yeah. And then on your other point about, yeah, we've got to, so the structural issue in the budget is brought about by some of these services we're talking about, health, aged care, and EIS. The biggest part of it is actually the increasing cost to service the debt because interest rates are going up. Uh, and we've got some other issues as well. But what we, what we were still able to do, even by applying these kind of new, more realistic assumptions to what happens to debt over the 10-year horizon, uh, is we were by banking a lot of that revenue surge in the near term, we save a lot of interest, yeah. uh, compounding interest. So that's been an important part of it too. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's a structural problem and it needs a structural solution. Hmm. Uh, and what we did on Tuesday night was designed and calibrated deliberately to be the foundation of that. You know, we never said Tuesday night will be the end of it. Mm. We always said Tuesday night will be the beginning of it. And I think inevitably 
it needs to be some combination of spending restraint, structural savings and, and sensible tax, tax reform. Yeah. But sensible tax reform, sort of in terms of the tax mix and tax justice in the country at the moment, it's sort of like, you know, there is like ordinary wage and salary earners are carrying quite a lot of the revenue load. Mm. Um, so then it's sort of like gets you into stage three tax cut territory, like do you keep that, do you not keep that, do you keep it or do you do a different version of that? You know, I'm not a fan of the stage three tax cut package, Jim, I, I, I think, as, as you yeah, know. I've picked that up. Um, but, I, but I also recognise that actually bracket creep's an issue and yeah. there does need to be some, you know, some thinking about that mm. because, you know, we want people in the workforce to aspire to earn more and so you've got a bracket creep problem. But also I don't think you can really whack wage and salary earners harder than, you know, is currently the case. So then you're in company tax territory and obviously that brings you to multinational tax and mm. minimum rates of corporate tax, which is a territory the government's in. And then what are your other options in terms of taxation? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful you acknowledge the multinational tax thing. I think because we've been talking about it for so long, it goes into that kind of category of people go, oh, yeah, yeah we've, we've heard yeah. about that from you before. But that wasn't that wasn't a small thing, mm. you know. It wasn't a it wasn't a massive revenue raiser, but it wasn't a small thing to say we're going to act on these two fronts on multinational taxes, and here's what we might do down the down the road. Uh, there's a tax measure in there around the share market. There's a tax measure in there around the depreciation of assets. There's a whole bunch of compliance measures in the budget that collectively raise billions of dollars mm. without increasing the burden on people in the the regular income tax system. So I, I you know, that hasn't got a lot of attention, but no, no, it's there important. was there was a lot there. Yeah, yeah there was um, a lot there. Uh, more broadly, I mean, you know, your point about bracket creep is not contested by me mm. and is probably not contested by a lot of people who have called for stage three to be rewritten. Mm. Um, th there are some people who say there should, yeah, some people will say there should never be income tax cuts. Yeah. Right? And some of them are in the parliament. Yeah. Um, but there's another school of thought that says, you can return bracket creep in a more sensible way. Mm. And I think that's really your position. Yes, that is, that's, yes, yes. Are you in that, are you in that faction, Jim, or where do you line up? No, well, we, as you know, I mean, if there was going to be a change in the budget, you would have known about it by now. I think we made our view yeah. pretty clear. You know, what, what happened, I think, in that conversation, which got pretty hot, mm. as you know, mm. um, is we deliberately wanted a conversation about the sustainability of the budget. Yep. And inevitably, um, people will raise this. And what I've tried to do, the reason I appreciate these kinds of longer conversations, is I've tried not to be judgy about people raising ideas that are different to ours. Mm. And a bit like in the gas market, ideas that might not have seemed a great idea 6, 12, 18 months ago yeah. might seem like a better idea now. We're trying to we're trying to engage with different views differently. Yeah. And maybe that gets harder the older the government gets. Mm. But one of the things I try to do is, and today, shocking headlines about me today, right? And what I tried to do is to recognise not every day is going to be great. Not everyone's going to agree with you. It's unrealistic to think that everyone's going to stand and applaud a budget and there's going to be unanimity about its direction. Mm. Once you accept that, it's mm. pretty liberating. Well, freeing. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel about tax. Yes. People want to talk about tax. Let's have a conversation about tax. Mm. Uh, and we don't have to pick up and run with every idea that's expressed, but is the national conversation improved or diminished by more people having playing a part in it? Mm. It's improved. Mm. Always. Um, okay, so I think you, that the answer to the are you in the better bracket creep faction was maybe? <laughs> well, I think that there is, I think there is an important role to play, particularly uh, through those middle-income areas mm. when it comes to returning bracket credit. Yeah, okay, interesting. And in terms of, uh, let's end this way, uh, obviously, you know, you, you have framed and we've discussed in this conversation, this first budget is obviously the start of the conversation, not the end of it. Um, in terms of the structural problem in the budget, will we see more in May? I'm trying to get a sense of your pacing because I know there is a general disposition in the new government to yeah. just not sort of go at everything bullet a gate, yeah. um, even though, and I've tried to communicate this to readers, actually, you are going like the clappers, a lot of you. It's really quite interesting, this sort of, <laughs> this. I don't know exactly how it's being perpetrated, but it's, everything looks quite serene above the water, but underneath the water, the, the legs are kicking. Um what will we see in May? I'm, of, that is obviously not as ludicrous a question as it sounds. I'm not saying yeah. give me the measures now. What, no, will, sure. what will we see in May? Well, it reminds me of one of your counterparts at the Sydney Morning Herald, Shane Wright, mm -hmm. uh, terrific yes. economic commentator. Yes. He asked me, you know, a week or so ago, when does work on the May budget begin? And I said <laughs> Wednesday, you know, yesterday. <laughs> no. um, and although I was being flippant about that, and you're right that obviously I'm not going to say what you know mm -hmm. what the measures are and things we we you know, we will put them together in the usual way on the usual time frame. But there is a sense of when you've got two budgets so close together, there is yeah. a sense that they are pieces. You know, yes, we talked about pieces, the jigsaw puzzle, yeah, actually. Pieces when of I the think whole. Of it. They uh, are pieces, pieces of, of the whole. whole. And so genuinely you start to, your mind inevitably, you wake up on the Wednesday morning after budget and you think, you know, a bit like that West Wing show, you know, Jeb, President Jeb Bartlett always saying, what's next? There's a bit of a sense of that. And you, I think you're right to talk about my colleagues about how hard they are all working too. Mm. I think in budget week, there's this sense of like, oh, the treasurer is really busy. Everyone's busy. It's, it's well, you're very, busy. you're very busy too. But yeah, but everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the government is fully extended. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I didn't remember from working in this portfolio last time we were in government is people hold things back until you've got the budget out on the Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, you get yes. <laughs> all of the pent-up yes. yes. <laughs> pent uh, issues to, to uh, look at. But long way of saying, we consider this to be a kind of a continuum, you know, volumes of a story mm. rather than different stories. Mm. Uh, and so we, we will, if we can find good, sensible, meaningful ways to improve the structural position of the budget, then obviously we're going to be right into that. Mm. But that also involves... You know, one of the heartening things about the last few months is whenever we've talked up to people rather than talked down to people, they've responded. And hopefully that continues. Hopefully that isn't just a characteristic of a new government where they're getting used to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a, I don't have a very high profile. And as people get used to you, they start to kind of work out what you're about. And I'm hoping that this tolerance for real talk and straight talk continues and isn't just a feature of something which is new. Mm. Yeah, well, it's sort of an interesting question, yeah, that I, I suspect neither of us know the answer to at this point. But anyway, can't hurt. 
Straight talking can't hurt. If in doubt. If in doubt, <laughs> let it out. Anyway, let's. Uh, we could have ended on a more dignified note, but look, it's it's Thursday night in Budget Week, so we've done our best anyway. I hope you've all enjoyed that conversation I have, and I'm grateful genuinely to the Treasurer for making time to do that in Budget Week because I know you guys really do appreciate this more relaxed format where we can get around a few issues. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Alison Chan, who's producing this week. Thank you to you guys for listening and we will be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Before Shopify, were you wondering where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.